You're listening to Gridiron Guys, the Central Michigan Life Sports Desk podcast on the CMU football team and other matters concerning the college football landscape. Welcome to the Central Michigan Life Sports Podcast, Gridiron Guys. My name is Taylor DeSormo, and I'm the sports editor at CM Life. Right next to me here, we have Dominic Mastrangelo, our football beat writer. How's it going, Dom? It's going okay. I'm excited like a lot of other people on this campus. How are things going with you? Uh, pretty good. We're just getting ready to put out our, our football tab for tomorrow's paper. Getting excited for Oklahoma State um, Thursday night at, at 7 p.m. So speaking of Oklahoma State, um, Central Michigan, Oklahoma State, I think it's like a 24-and-a-half-point underdog the Chippewas are, something like that. So what, what are some things to watch for, Dom, in tomorrow's game? The last line that I saw was right around 24 and a half, 25 points, which, mm-hmm. you know, honestly, I think might be a little off in terms of people thinking that Oklahoma State is going to come up here and just beat the crap out of CMU. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen. I was thinking more like two touchdowns, um, but it'll definitely be an upset if CMU is able to pull off a victory. Um, the storylines have been endless this offseason, as mm-hmm. many people know. Um, both on and off the field for this team. But from a clear football perspective, um, the storylines are just as as pertinent here, too. Um, the biggest of that is obviously new first-year head coach John Bonamigo. Uh, it's going to be the first chance that we have to see what this team can be capable under him and what, namely, quarterback Cooper Rush is able to do. Um, he has gotten progressively better over the past few seasons and his incredible performance in the Bahamas Bowl on Christmas Eve of last year really sort of punctuated his ascension to the, the undisputed leadership role. He was named a captain last week of this team, um, is really the leader of this offense. Um, so how Rush and the Chippewa start on offense against what Mike Gundy, Coach Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State, has called perhaps his best defense that he's had in his time there. That's, that's a while, by the way. Um, that's going to be key to see how Rush and the offense comes out, especially early in the game, because especially in these Thursday night opener games, even though CMU has done fairly well recently in the Thursday night opening games. Um, if the scoreboard is not going well in terms of CMU's favor, uh, it could be a pretty empty stadium by, by the second half. Yeah, definitely. So looking at the top 25, it looked like Oklahoma State just missed it. They're, they're about 28th in the national rankings, but um, their quarterback is kind of a newer guy. He only played a few games last year, so I think he's a sophomore this year. We have a, a junior quarterback in Cooper Rush who – who, like you said, threw for all those touchdowns in the Bahamas Bowl. Um, what do you look at in that quarterback position specifically, and what do you think of uh, Oklahoma State's guy? Mason Rudolph is an extremely dangerous college football player, and the story on him is pretty interesting. He was originally going to redshirt until about midway through the season, and then they had some serious quarterback issues last year. I mean, for Oklahoma State standards, last year was not a very good year. Uh, Mike Gundy, an alum and a former quarterback himself, um, basically, again, I'm not – too privy to the situation there, but it sounds like um, was throwing caution in the wind and just went after um, Rudolph's chances. And it worked out for him. They beat Oklahoma, which is big down there in Steelwater, and they ended up going to a bowl game. So I think this year for Rudolph is a chance to really, much like Rush was going into last year, a chance, okay, you're going to be the starter. You won the job. Um, now what can you do with it? And he's done really well on the road, and he's done really well around or in working with the skill players that Oklahoma State has. And it's those same skill players that are going to look to exploit uh, CMU's inexperienced and thin defensive secondary. All right, Dom. So you said earlier was about you thought maybe a two-touchdown difference. Personally, I have Oklahoma State winning 41-14 and just kind of a blowout, maybe some a big offensive showing. What's your prediction going into tomorrow night's game? You know, again, I think that Oklahoma State, just based on the – 
the key skill guys that they have. It's just a bad matchup when you think about a team that likes to play the game very vertically, throw the ball down the field, and then hurry up once they get into the red zone. That'll be dangerous um, for a CMU defensive secondary that at cornerback is, is very thin, and then will be playing without Blake Serpa due to injury. We'll talk about that in a little bit here. Um, but if CMU doesn't find a way to contain Rudolph and the OSU pass game, it's going to be a long day for CMU in terms of trying to stop anything. Mm-hmm, definitely. So you talked about Blake Serpa. He had a knee injury over the spring, but um, talk about the injury report coming into tomorrow night's game. CMU is relatively healthy, which is good because, as we learned last year, injuries can be a huge problem, especially with your key guys. Um, as I noted before, Blake Serpa, senior defensive end, is the only first-team starter that, as of right now, is scheduled <laughs> to not play. Again, things could change. Um, but it's actually the one spot on the field, especially on defense, that I think CMU can afford to lose a player. They've got Joe Osman, Schaefer Johnson, Jabari Dean on that defensive line that have all had big moments on the field. They've, they've got reps under their belt, so I don't think it's a total killer injury. I mean, by me, we even said at practice earlier this week that it's really more of a leadership quality that they're going to miss in Serpa. But if you remember, Blake Serpa's been battling a knee injury for a while. This is a hamstring thing that's going to keep him out now. I don't think it's anything that's going to keep him out for any significant amount of time. It's more of a precautionary thing. Who knows? Maybe depending on if he has any setbacks in practice following the Oklahoma State game, he might sit out OSU too. But i got to believe that they're going to want to get him involved before the conference season starts. Mm-hmm. And then on the Oklahoma State side of the ball, you said something about their wide receiver, their top wide receiver is an injury? Brandon Shepard had a dislocated finger a couple of weeks ago, but uh, Coach Gundy said on Monday, I believe it was, that he should be good to go. He'll definitely be with the team and traveling and Maybe he doesn't start the game, but it sounds like by the second half he should be out there and, and doing what he does best, and that's catch touchdowns. Any other injury report from the Oklahoma State side of the field? Not that I've seen. They seem to be pretty healthy as well. Um, they've got a very interesting policy when it comes to injuries. They only talk about it if it's season-ending. Really? Um, yeah, you know, we've seen some of that up here too, but in Big 12 country, man, it's, it's physical, and they'll target guys if they know that, oh, you know, he's got a bum leg or – He's nursing back an Achilles, whatever the case, the case may be. Um, so, so they're usually pretty mum about uh, who's feeling how. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have our pre-season or our game preview tomorrow morning. Um, look for that on Facebook and Twitter. You, you mentioned something about how last year Oklahoma State, they didn't start in Mount Pleasant. Talk about that a little bit, maybe. No, very much a different situation. They opened against, at the time, the number one team, preseason ranked uh, team in the nation in Florida State University, and everyone knows how their season went last year. Um, they played them tough in that game in a neutral at a neutral site down in Texas um, and ended up losing. Again, last year, for all intents and purposes, was kind of an underachievement for the Cowboys. Now, they were very inexperienced last year, much like CMU is this year, um, largely speaking. Um, so they've gotten a lot better. And I do believe that this Oklahoma State team is a lot better um, than the one that took the, started to take the field last year was. Um, but during a Big 12 teleconference earlier this week, Coach Gundy said that they are not taking CMU lightly. Um, it's funny because he said that, you know, CMU has had a lot of success recently. I think maybe he's thinking more into the Dan LaFever and Ryan Radcliffe late years. But nonetheless, CMU is pretty respected as far as mid-majors go. I mean, it could be a, a trap game. Again, at home Thursday night, CMU tends to play very well in these midweek, um, highly anticipated games. Um, that being said, some of those Thursday night games to open up the season have been against, you know, Chattanooga D2 sort of cupcake schools so it's interesting um, to the dichotomy in the way Oklahoma State started the season last year and what they're going to be up against this year I still think they're going to win the game 
I just don't think it'll maybe come as easily as some people might think if they just look at the matchup on paper. Awesome. Yep. So make sure you check out Dom's preview story. That'll be online tomorrow. Speaking of paper. Yeah. That. Yep. That'll be online. Um, speaking of John Bonamigo, head coach. Uh, for a little background, he was hired in February. From he was the former Detroit Lions special teams coordinator. Uh, this is his first head coaching gig, really anywhere. He he's really a Central Michigan guy. Though he played wide receiver here in the '80s. Um, he's had an interesting summer, definitely. Uh, how, give us an update on that, Dom. Yeah, Bonamigo. Unfortunately, earlier. Uh, early part of the summer, later in the spring, um, was diagnosed with a, albeit very mild form of tonsil cancer. And he came out right away and said that, you know, I'm going to start treatment and I'm going to get better and I'm going to be on the sidelines for September 3rd for the opener on Thursday. Um, it's been remarkable, really, to see not so much what, or I shouldn't say not only what Bonamigo has done in terms of his recovery, mm -hmm. um, gone through radiation and chemotherapy treatments all summer long, every single day, and everyone, anyone that's gone through that knows how grueling that can be. Um, but what's really been fascinating to me is how the team has responded to that. Um, everyone knows about the story with Derek Nash, the late Derek Nash, who was so close with, with the team. And then to have his passing this summer coupled with Bonamigo's diagnosis um, it, would been, it would have been hard for this team not to be inspired by the fighting that's gone on off the field. I mean, I think that's something that people don't always understand, fans don't always understand, is how close these guys are socially to each other and the family atmosphere that it really becomes. And when a family goes through tragedy, whether it be, you know, the, a, a position player, a coach, someone in the athletic department, um, people tend to come together. And, and Bonamigo's uh, fight with cancer um, he's now finished with, or at least his, his treatments he's finished with. Mm -hmm. um, it really sort of evoked a sort of inspiring quality in not just the leaders on the CMU football team, not just Nick Beamish and Cooper Rush and Tim Hamilton, but every single player on the team, or at least every player that I've talked to, um, has talked about how, how inspiring Bonamigo's fight with cancer has been this summer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, you said he's done with treatment, which is awesome. Congratulations, Coach. Um, how would you say that he's feeling? How is he looking right now? Has he let the, the, uh, the treatments really become a distraction for this team? His line that I've heard him use over and over again is, when people ask me how I'm feeling, I don't want to complain, but I also don't want to lie. So that, that should tell you a lot about kind of where he's at. Um, i got to say, on his, on his last day of treatment, he didn't look very good. I mean, he's got the, the abrasions and the marks on his neck. He's noticeably lost a lot of weight. I mean, all the things that sort of come with, with radiation. Um, but his spirits have never been sort of, I know that if I was going through that, heaven forbid, mm. um, I would not be have the disposition that this guy has had. I mean, he showed up to Mid-American Conference Media Day at the end yep. of July. Didn't even have to. He didn't even have, I mean, he doesn't really have to do anything when he's going through this, but yeah. he really, I think he missed half a practice all summer long. I mean, it was just, his demeanor during this has been the defining quality. And I think it's why the players have, um, have responded to it despite how he physically might look. Yeah. And that, even that is getting better here as, as the weeks move on. Definitely. There's a cool story by Sidney Smith, who's going to, it's going to be in tomorrow's uh, football tab in CM Life about Bonamigo and how he's, he's just excited to maybe taste some things again because he lost a sense of taste with all the treatment. He's excited to he have barely that. barely swallow. I mean, yeah. It's and it, been really rough for him. It's really sad, but he's, he's been so confident and so encouraging through it all. And even if you follow him on Twitter, you can see him, he's, delivering pizzas to dorm rooms and he's he's just such an outgoing and friendly guy I think I think the community already feels kind of like 
he's he's ours, and we haven't even seen him on the football field yet coach a game. It's interesting because before the cancer diagnosis happened, I mean, he was out there marketing the program. You know, you're if you're a Chippewa, I'm your coach. Here is a pizza, like just yeah. very. He's ex, he's <laughs> compared to the previous coach that we had here at CMU, who shall remain nameless. His external relations are absolutely night and day. I mean, the guy loves this place, and he makes it pretty obvious um, to anybody who's even paying a little bit of attention to him, which the football coach on this campus is one of the top, most public spots that you can have. Of course, yeah. Um, And then when the cancer diagnosis came, it was all of a sudden some bad news from a guy that was always positive, always sort of a cheerleader. Um, but, But again, to see the dichotomy and how the fans, the community, the team has responded to Again, not what he's gone through so much as how he's maintained his attitude through all of that. Um, there's something to be said for that, and it's, it's just remarkable. It's remarkable whether you watch or care about football or not. I mean, there's something to be said for you know a star in the community, and when a real-life real life tragedy, real-life problem happens to them, um, how they respond to it can totally change the complexion of how a team, how an organization, and how a man is viewed. Mm-hmm. So I think it's pretty agreed on that Coach Bonamigo is a guy that most people wouldn't mind having a beer over with. But what about on the field? Should fans be concerned with his experience, with um, just the way his summer has been? What do you think about him football-wise? I've honestly never bought into any of that. I mean, obviously college football is a much different animal than the NFL, but when you spend more than a decade around professional athletes and some of the sport's best coaches, i got to believe good things come from that. Um he is dealing with players right now that truly aren't his. He can say if you're a triple I'm your coach all he wants, but his recruiting efforts are just getting started, so we might not be able to see um, exactly what Bonamigo's type of player is, type of team is, until a couple of years down the road. I think even putting the cancer diagnosis aside and all that, um, the first-year head coach always gets a pass. I mean, he could go 0-12, and he would be a nice guy that everybody really – likes and not be a very good football coach in his first year but after year two three down the line this is when some of those recruits start to come to fruition now it's Cooper Rush's senior year and the expectations grow a little bit the expectations for the program as a whole have been high over the last decade we all know that Lefevre, Radcliffe, Brian Kelly, Bush Jones I mean it goes the list goes on so the program I think it's interesting and it's important for fans to look at the expectations of the program versus the expectations of the coach. Because when you had a quick turnaround from Enos, oh, sorry, I said his name, <laughs> to Bonamigo, um, now all of a sudden that's a different thing. And I think that's a pretty unique situation in college football. Mm-hmm, definitely. So you mentioned 0-12. Speaking of that, what what do you think the schedule looks like for the Chippewas starting this season? Obviously Oklahoma State's not an easy one, and I think Michigan State's down the line as well. It's about as close to murderous row as you can get for a mid-major. I mean, Oklahoma State, Michigan State, and Syracuse in the Carrier Dome. Now, I understand a lot of people think that Syracuse is pretty overrated. Um, I mean, we saw what they did to CMU last year, yes. but I think that was a completely different situation. You had the leading rusher and emerged superstar in Thomas Rawls being withheld and eventually suspended that game. Um, Titus Davis, if anybody remembers, in that game was still... Nursing an injury, he wasn't wasn't on the field. So um, I don't think it'll necessarily be as bad against Syracuse this year as it was last year. Do I think they'll win the game? Maybe. I think a lot lot of it will depend on how Syracuse plays in its first two games and how CMU does. 
Um, but of the three marquee games against Power 5 schools, I gotta believe Syracuse is the most winnable, even though it's in the Carrier Dome. Um, after that, the, the thing everyone, everyone's talking about right now is, oh, that conference, that non-conference schedule is so brutal, blah, blah, blah. You're going to be one and three going into the conference slate. But wait. <laughs> Things don't get any easier yep. once they uh, start the MAC year. I mean, they got to go to Western and play a game in Kalamazoo. Um, NIU, yeah, that game's at home, but they always give CMU fits. Um, it'll be interesting to see kind of where this team is at health-wise and where it's at confidence-wise. Um, once we start getting this, into some of those midweek matching games, as, as they're referred to, um, in the middle of November. Yeah, so just looking at those first six games, I mean, I, I think I can definitely see them being one and five, but I can see them also being not too disappointed with that. Just They're going to be underdogs in five of those six games. What do you think the response will be if they're one and five at that point? The response? Boy, that's a good question. Um, I How should fans respond? I think fans should look at that, if that is the case, and say, okay, well, now it's time to really start winning some games. Because at that point, it starts getting into Kent, Akron, Eastern Michigan. I mean, some really borderline teams. Yeah. Um, you know, though, I don't think 1-5 and five is where we're going to be at. Okay. I really don't, no. You know what? I think they can beat Syracuse. Mm-hmm. I think we could potentially be looking at 2-2 two and two heading into the conference slate. You know, they beat NIU last year. It's homecoming. CMU historically has played pretty well in homecoming homecoming over the last 10, 15 years. So is a Mac, is MAC title a thing? Probably not. They're going to have to beat Toledo at home on a Tuesday night. Um, but I think one in five is an absolute worst-case scenario, too. Yeah, I mean, that's the great thing about being an underdog, though. If you, if you lose by 30, it's like, okay, people expect you to lose by 30. But if you lose by five, it's like, okay, there's some progress. And if you win then you have done something that no one expected. The only thing they can't do is lose to Monmouth Week 2. It'll, yep. be their, it'll be Monmouth's first ever game against a D1 school. I mean, I was looking at this the other day. I'm pretty sure their inaugural season was like 1993 or something. So that is the definition of a winnable game for the Jets. You were in what, first grade then? I was, if it was 93, <laughs> then I was maybe 12 months, you know, 13 months old. Yeah, yeah. So we talked about Monmouth. Um, the last couple of years, CMU's, Struggled a little bit, New Hampshire and um, Chattanooga. They ended up winning both of those games, but um, those were kind of both higher Division One AA teams, whereas Mon- Monmouth is is not. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, it's interesting for – you talk about a team's mindset or the mentality heading into um, heading into any given game or any given Saturday, as, as we like to say. Um Seeing you for the vast majority of this of their games, even in the conference play, are going to be seen as the underdog or the or the team that if they win, it'll be a surprise. To suddenly have to flip that, and now all of a sudden you got to watch out because you know you have a trap game against you know a cupcake. Hmm. That's got to be a very interesting um, switch in your mindset in a very short period in time too. I mean, I know people think you know oh they got all this time to prepare, but in football, man, a week goes by like like you wouldn't believe. So yeah. I um. It'll be interesting to see how CMU responds from game to game based on how the schedule plays out, how, how other teams perform, what guys get injured. I mean, there are so many variables when it comes to, uh, to predicting what's going to happen during a football season that it's going to be tough to know week to week which CMU team we're going to get and which opponent we're going to get. Yeah. So basically, if fans want to see a victory, September 12th against Monmouth is, is the game they're most likely to win. Um, but if you're talking to fans, maybe you got a buddy – they asked, all right, what football game should I go to? If, if they had to go to one home football game this year, um, which which Chippewa game would you recommend fans go to? Oh, Thursday night against Oklahoma State, no questions asked. Yeah. Um, 
it is probably going to be the most anticipation for a CMU football season that there's been in recent memory, maybe ever. I mean, it is because of everything that's happened this offseason with Bonamigo, Derek Nash, um, the Bahamas Bowl. I mean, let's not forget where we left off with this team uh, at the end of last year. Um, we got a, could forget. We got a big time opponent that you know. Look, this isn't Michigan State. You know, this is Oklahoma State who possibly could be beaten if a perfect game is played and Oklahoma State shoots itself in the foot two or three times. No pun intended there, pistols firing crowd. But I think this game stands out to me as, wow, the energy in that stadium. If you're looking for a good environment, a good crowd experience, um, that Oklahoma State's got to be a good one. Homecoming against NIU will probably be a lot of fun too. And then if you're weird and you really like these midweek games, these midweek action games, and you want to go to Pints after a football game, then uh, then Tuesday night, November 13th, I believe it is, against Toledo. I think the 10th, yep. Yeah, will be the game for you. Yeah, we got a couple couple night games already on the docket. we got Thursday and then the, the Toledo one. Those are always a, a great atmosphere. Give me one more game to watch for this year, home or away. Oh, man. Um, I was talking with Nate Schneider of the Morning Sun, covers the team, about this the other day. We agreed... Yes, we agreed yesterday, and I'm sure it'll be true um, as we get closer to this one. But they're going to go down to East Lansing, down 127, and play a football game. And, you know, there are a lot of different ways to approach a game like this. I mean, MSU, assuming they don't get tripped up by Oregon um, beforehand, could potentially be in the conversation for best team in the nation. Um, at the same, t- same time, CMU, if you don't look at the game this year on its face, CMU has played very well against Michigan State um, historically. Um, do I think they're going to win? I don't think there's a chance in the world that they win the game. Because they're fifth ranked, right? Correct. Going into the, as of the preseason. Yeah. However, that being said, Here we go. CMU football wins that game in East Lansing. It will be no questions asked the biggest win in program history. Really? That is a bigger game than beating Western Michigan. I don't care how big WMU is. I don't care if it's home on the way. If you go into Sparty's, Spartans Stadium there and win that game, I just I couldn't think of a win that's been bigger um, for CMU. I don't care what mm-hmm. bowl game it is. I don't care the Bahamas Bowl, which they eventually lost. Yep. Um, I mean, you'd ruin their season, essentially, wouldn't you? You'd ruin their season, and you might make yours, because at that point you're heading into the conference slate and the big game against Western the following week. So that's got to be the game that you circle on your calendar if you're a Chippewa. Plus, I already know there's going to be a ton of Chippewas there. It's an hour drive south on Absolutely. 127, like you say. It's it's going to be an away game for sure, because they pack the, the fans in there at MSU, but there's going to be some maroon and gold in the stands. There will be, and you expect that. I mean, we saw that a couple of years ago when State came up here, and uh, we had tons of Spartan folks, and that was a big debate that went on here on campus. You know, put your State stuff away if you're a Chippewa. You know, you're allowed to root for who you want, um, but there will be some, some maroon and gold presence in East Lansing. That, that's for sure. Yep. All right, Don, give me your prediction, your record for the season. Oh, gosh, I hate it when people do this to me. Um, I went on Jim Costa's show the other last week, and he, uh, he nailed me with this, too. Yep. I'm going to go 7-5. and five. I really think they can win a couple of those toss-up games. I think, I think Syracuse is a beatable team. I think Toledo is potentially beatable if they can figure out their pass protection issues by then. Um, I mean, got to be Eastern, got to be Akron. NIU is also a winnable game, so I'm sitting seven and five overall. All right, that's that's pretty confident about the team. I think seven and five season, a lot of fans would be happy with that, yeah. especially with the schedule and Bonamigo's first season and all that. Um, transitioning a little bit, um, we talked about Derek Nash earlier. Um, 
a very unfortunate circumstance. He played for the team. Um, never only got on the field for a spring football game. He battled leukemia. He beat it. It came back, and um, he eventually passed away this June. Uh, talk about just the uh, what effect you've seen that have on players. It's been like nothing I've ever seen in, in sports. And look, I, I've got a young career, but there are people that I've talked to that have said this is the most inspiring situation mm. that a lot of people have seen with this team, maybe ever. I mean, the social media outpouring was huge. I mean, we've got the rotating jersey now, the legacy jersey. Number 21. Number 21 um, jersey that Stefan Armstead, who was very close to Derek, um, will be wearing for the opener against Oklahoma State, and then they'll do so with every every game this year for CMU. Um, they can't stop talking about it. I mean, they constantly have him in their mind. The team in the locker room, another little anecdote here, um, they put up a mural with Derek's picture and a nice quote from him. I mean, he is a symbol, this team, off the field and on the field, that giving up is never an option. And with everything that happened with Bonamigo over the summer, too, was just an extra little bit of validation for, for these guys, uh, what they're doing, and um, how something almost not related to football, just, just a human element, um, can affect their psychology in a way that can inspire them to do things that a lot of people say that they're not going to be able to be capable of. So Derek's effect on the team was their prominently last year um obviously everyone knows he was interviewed by ESPN at the Bahamas Bowl and was named an honorary captain after finding out that he had his, his cancer had returned mm-hmm. um, but that hasn't stopped yeah with, with Derek Nash's passing um these guys are that much more inspired to to make him proud and to do what he would do and that's to never give up yep we have an awesome story in tomorrow's paper. Evan Shishella wrote it. Oh, my God, a great it, story. It's, I'd, I'd definitely recommend it. And the, the very last line of it, I hate to give it away, but uh, one of the one of his buddies on the on, in the defensive backfield talked about if, if Derek got a chance to be on that field, they know no doubt that he would be given 100%. That's right, and that's exactly how Derek played the game. That's mm-hmm. exactly how, Those are the qualities that this team is going to be trying to emulate um, as they do what on paper sometimes appears to be as close as you can get to the impossible. Yep, and I actually got to talk to him last year in the fall before the opening game. He had beaten cancer. He wasn't really strong enough to to play that year, but um, he knew that he was going to be running through that tunnel and being on that field, and I just saw his eyes light up when I asked him about that, and he was so excited to do that, and he was so excited to be able to beat cancer and to be able to, to uh, walk on that field and eventually be a Chippewa, and he, he, I think he's a true Chippewa at heart. He's he's just a great guy, and um, it's just really an unfortunate circumstance, but these guys are really looking at him as inspiration. He he may be gone, but he won't be forgotten. Absolutely not. Just one of the all-time great CMU football stories. Definitely. Um, transitioning again, looking at the – we got a big weekend coming up in college sports. Obviously, we've talked about CMU and Oklahoma State – um, the Thursday night kickoff. We got some other big games. Tell me about them. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I think the one that Chippewa fans should definitely be tuning into after Thursday night game is Friday night. Michigan State goes down to Western Michigan. They're, again, as you mentioned Row before, the boat. number five ranked <laughs> team in the nation. And uh, Western Michigan was picked near the top of the Mac West yet again. Um, it is going to be an electric atmosphere. I was reading somewhere in the Kalamazoo Gazette that they – the they were expecting such a record crowd that they had to contact the fire marshal to see if maybe they could have possibly violated some fire codes. If they tried to have standing room people only, they're not going to do that. So the attendance record there at Waldo Stadium will stand. It's going to be a lot of people. And 
it's going to be a very interesting game because Team U.S. has played both those teams this year, and they're both very good. So it, it's, it'll be something that I'll be looking forward to just to see which one of those two teams is more beatable, which I think yep. we can all probably say is going to be Western. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I think um, as, as a MAC team, Central Michigan is, some of the debate always is like, is there any chance that a MAC team could ever go to the college football playoff? The top four teams in the country. And I think it's, it's pretty much the resounding answer has been no way. It would be nearly impossible. But if there's ever a team to do it, I think it'd be Western Michigan. They play Michigan State. This year. Home. They, be, they play Ohio State. If yeah. they can win both of those games and go undefeated, maybe this is the year. It would definitely happen. I mean, Ohio State and Michigan State are not just two of the best teams in the Big Ten. They're two of the best teams in the nation. Top five. So it's <laughs> – if there is a year that it were to be happening, it would be this year. And – I'm telling you, Western Michigan wins that game. There are going to be a lot of people all around the conference that are saying, row the freaking boat, mm-hmm. because that is our team. That, that, that's the team that can make, that can sort of erase the gap between these mid-majors and the rest of the college football landscape. Yeah. And as much as you have to hate Western Michigan as a Central Michigan fan, you almost kind of have to be interesting to see if that pans out. What does that look like? And it could even benefit the Chippewas. It could. I mean, down down the line, and CMU is if they do go seven and five, that's a bowl game for CMU. So if they beat Western, or if you know they give MSU a really tough game, I mean, these are all things that these bowl committees look at. I mean, it's not so much the, the computers anymore, the old uh, BCS system that no one really liked in the past. In the past, yeah. Um, how you lose a game how you win a game is all of a sudden now a factor and playing tough from kickoff until the very final seconds to tick off the clock is going to be key for every team this year yep what other games should we be watching no mac games like we want bama you said wisconsin yeah bama plays wisconsin on saturday which is going to be interesting because you know we mentioned the big 10 earlier you got ohio state and michigan state at the very top but then this huge drop off with you know everybody else i mean michigan penn state I mean, look at how terrible the situation is at Illinois right now. Um, I look at Wisconsin as a team that probably is most likely to break into that upper tier of Big Ten teams. And Alabama has, for Alabama standards, not been playing very well. So it's going to be interesting to sort of see how both teams respond to each other. The Big Ten versus the SEC, you know, everyone's always talking about that big competition. Um, We're going to get a little taste of it here to start the year. Yep, so that's that's the NTA. Let's talk about some of the Chippewas in the NFL. We've got a bunch of guys that, that were signed by teams um, from last year's squad. I think maybe the most noteworthy being Thomas Rawls. That's right. He's fighting for a second-string spot at running back for the Seattle Seahawks right now, or mm-hmm. potentially third. Um, he has impressed some people in Seahawks games. Some of the reports that are coming out um, suggest that you know the coaches love his running style. I mean, we know how physical of a runner oh. he is. I mean, almost single-handedly handed us some victories uh, last year. So I would say of any Chippewa that's out there, you know, putting around the NFL right now, Thomas Rawls is the one who uh, who has the best chance to, uh, to make us proud. Yep, definitely. I think um, I've read some reports as well saying maybe he'll be third string, maybe they'll even have a fourth running back on the squad. And then other people have said maybe they're going to release him, but then there's other squads like the Dallas Cowboys who are right. interested in him and, and whatnot. So he's definitely, even if he gets released, um, Thomas Rawls is going to, going to be on a team somewhere I'd be pretty sure one guy that has already been released that was a Chippewa last year is wide receiver Titus Davis so he was released from San Diego the other day have you heard anything about maybe other teams looking at him or anything I haven't no but 
I was pretty shocked by this move. I mean, I think everyone knows how. I mean, there are people who are still upset about the fact that he went undrafted. Um, he had a pretty solid year last year, a senior year at CMU, considering how much he was banged up, um, knee problems and, and everything else. You know, he has had some issues with catching the deep ball, you know, his hands. But mm-hmm. and, I, and I get it. At the NFL, you have to be able to catch the football consistently over the middle in coverage if you're going to make your living. Um, but he's got—he still has the athleticism. He still has the speed and the the natural raw ability to just beat a guy one on one. And I think he can do that in the NFL. He'll land with an NFL team here sometime soon, unless he has a major setback in terms of his health. Yeah, and I mean Titus has broken many of Antonio Brown's records. I think he has the most touchdowns in yep. Chippewa history, most yards yep. receiving in Chippewa history. And look at Antonio Brown; he's a guy that there's no question he'll be on the Pittsburgh Steelers roster. He's probably their number one guy, maybe even the top guy in the NFL. Yeah, it's just I think it maybe might have just been a bad mix in San Diego, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the Steelers, another guy on the Steelers is a former Chippewa, Latarius Walton. He was a defensive tackle. Last year for the Chippewas, drafted in the sixth round. What do you think about his chances? It's it's going to be interesting because, you know, everyone always thinks that big defensive, you know, Dick LeBeau, Pittsburgh defense. Um, Latarius Walton is still fighting for a chance there. I mean, the defensive line, defensive linemen are, are so hard to to sculpt. You know, a guy like Ndamukong Sue or <laughs> Warren Sapp was back in the day. I mean, th- those are such high-demand players, but so many guys transition to a nose tackle Alaterius was obviously great when he was here. Um, I don't know if I'm convinced that he'll make it in the NFL, though. Really? Two guys that have been cut by the Detroit Lions this week, Deion Butler and Justin Cherokee, do you think that they might be signed? I'm not sure. You know, that was an interesting situation. Both of those guys are from the Detroit area recently. They worked out the Lions in camp last spring. Um, didn't pan out for either one of them. I think if either of them has a chance, um, it's probably more likely that Deion Butler does just because he can block well as a tight end. He can catch the ball down the field. Um, it'll be interesting to see which one of those guys ends up with an NFL team, but I don't think both of them do, no. Okay, and Andy Phillips is still on the Packers, like, right? He is. He's still uh, with Green Bay, uh, playing in some preseason games. Again, the 53-man roster is due by Saturday, September 5th at 4 o'clock New York time for NFL teams, so all of this might be null and void by then. Yep. Um, but Phillips is a guy that I could potentially see maybe being in, in a backup somewhere, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I definitely think Phillips and Rawls are the guys who will be on their – biting their nails by uh, sep- that September 5th deadline on Saturday. And then also, there's a plenty of Chippewas from years past that are already on teams. I think Eric Fisher, the number one overall pick, there's no doubt he'll be yep. he'll be on the squad. Um, Jaleel Adai with mm-hmm. the, um, the San Diego, yep. he's, he's still going to be there. There's plenty, a couple other Chippewas around, too. That's right. It's uh, The Chippewa impact is, is in the NFL for sure. Um, just recently, it's going to be interesting sort of to see how how the guys that, have, that are new into the new into the NFL, how they develop. Definitely. Awesome, Dima. Thanks for joining us. So that that's thanks for tuning in to Gridiron, guys. You can follow updates and coverage for Thursday's game on social media, uh, Central Michigan Life. We, it has a Facebook and Instagram and a Snapchat. And then also CM Life Sports. You can follow us on Twitter and also on Periscope for some live video. Ooh. So, yeah, be in tune. We'll be using all those mediums tomorrow to give you a bunch of different angles on the game. We're going to try and keep you up to date, whether you're in the tailgate lot or still pre-gaming or in the stands. We're hoping to be able to update you on all those things. So uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. You can follow the latest from CM Life by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. Download our app and subscribe to CM Life podcast channel on iTunes. The print edition of CM Life is published Monday and Thursday and is distributed throughout campus and Mount Pleasant. 
Thank you for listening and supporting CM Life Student Media.